The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. afternoon or evening, depending on where you are in the country. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall with you for the next hour and joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, a polling message development and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Brad's also a senior advisor to and contributing editor for the website Tiller4U.com. That's T-I-L-L-E-R, the number for Y-O-U.com. It's the social media network for politics. He lectures in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. You can find him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. That's B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N. And his website is BannonCR.com. Brad joins me today uh, for our final installment, part three of three, in our discussion regarding 2016 ballot initiatives. And if you're wondering how we could talk about it for three hours, well, it's easier than you think because there are 156 measures being voted on in 35 states in the District of Columbia. Uh, We mentioned uh, during our past two episodes, which you can find on both my uh, Twitter account and Brad's, um, which we'll have them, uh, the previous two posted, and then tonight we'll have this third one posted. But we've already discussed um, marijuana. Um, We've discussed election changes regarding voting, uh, party affiliation, campaign finance reform. We've also discussed... um, ballot initiatives regarding um, changing uh, uh, the voting system to ranked voting. And uh, we discussed D.C. statehood and uh, background checks uh, for guns as well. That was the final topic we discussed regarding this. So um, we are going to move on next to education, uh, not to be outdone by some of the other uh, initiatives. Education is on the ballot in seven states or at changes to education. Uh, The two I like most are in Maine and California. In Maine, they're voting to increase taxes on income over $200,000 to create an education fund. Right now, there's a 1998 law in place in California that bans school instruction in languages other than English. If that ballot measure is approved, the existing law would be repealed and open the way for bilingual education. So those two are my favorites, Brad. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on these two potential changes in Maine and California and any of the other thoughts you had regarding the uh, education ballot initiatives? And welcome. Uh, well, first of all, I know a group of uh, people who hate the initiative process. Uh, that would be mail carriers in California. Yeah. I think there's 17 on the ballot in California. Yep, you're correct. And the Secretary of State and the League of Women Voters sends out this thick book that describes all the initiatives and gives arguments pro and con. Uh, and so I'm sure the mail carriers are not crazy having to uh, cart hundreds of those around to deliver each household. Uh, well, California case is kind of interesting. 
there, there's a change going on in California, and this reflects it. Uh, right now in California, more than half the people who live in California uh, are not a white, uh, or as they say in California, are not Anglo. Uh, You've got a burgeoning Latino population. And this is a reaction to the fact that I would guess uh, probably a majority of the students in California public schools are Latino. Uh, and uh, it's very difficult for them to teach them English if you can't speak Spanish to them. Uh, and, you know, this, you know, we talked in the last segment about, you know, how demographics uh, affects these ballot initiatives. De uh, dem demography is destiny. And the California initiative is a reaction to the fact that uh, California is becoming a uh, heavily Latino state, uh, and they have to adjust state laws uh, to deal with that fact. Uh, there's a ballot, there's an education ballot question uh, here in, Mass in Massachusetts. Uh, right now, uh, state law uh, says uh, there can be no more than 125 charter schools uh, in the state. Now, charter schools are schools, uh, most of them are run by private corporations. Uh, they hire their own teachers who aren't subject to union rules, uh, and uh, there are some public charter schools, but here in the least Massachusetts, just about all of them are private. So education is, you know, being privatized. And the question on the Massachusetts ballot is whether to uh, remove the 125 limit uh, so they can uh, start up more private charter schools in Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, that is one of the two big battles in this state. Uh, the other one we talked about the other day, uh, the other one is to legalize the possession and sale of small amounts of pot. Brad, I'm happy you brought up the, uh, the, well, first of all, it is kind of ridiculous if you think, I'm going to talk to two of your points. One, the fact that in California you have pretty much, like you said, half the student population, if not more, you know, being of the Latino uh, background, and a lot of them, if they're trying to learn English, if you can't speak to them in their native language, it's so much harder to teach them a new language. I mean, I remember uh, I studied actually Spanish in high school, and then in college I studied Italian. I can't imagine trying to learn a new language if someone couldn't teach me that in my native tongue. I mean, it's just, you know, the fa or like, okay, fine, you're teaching them English, but at the same time, you want them to be able to learn math and science. You know, maybe if you have a program where you can teach them English, but as you're teaching them, you can have a bilingual teacher, you know, teach them things like math and science and global studies so that they're not losing ground in these other disciplines while they're learning English. I mean, I think it's just an absolute no-brainer to do that in a state with that high of a population of people who don't necessarily have English as their native language. So I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think this is a really smart ballot initiative. I really hope that it passes um, and you don't have these, you know, uh, t tinges of nativism that we've seen so much in this election cycle uh, from the Republican standard bearer, Donald Trump. Um, as far as the charter school uh, initiative in Massachusetts, that's another thing that I'm I'm interested in, in the way you, you kind of so articulately, articulately put it. Um, I think one of the concerns I have regarding the 
privatization of schools is you look at what it's done to the uh, higher education uh, system. I mean, we have just this year ITT Tech, a perfect example of the way that students were being swindled out of money, not getting the proper accreditation, and now they're you know tens of thousand dollars in debt. I, I mean, to think that every charter school would would be a failure, you know, any anything of like speaking in absolutes, I think is a mistake. However, I think you have to look at the track record of private privatization and education uh, to make this decision. So um, that's another good good point that you bring up. Um, talking about another thing that uh, is being proposed uh, in, in a mo- more than one state is minimum wage um, in Arizona, Maine, Colorado, and the state of Washington. There's four different proposals for a gradual increase in the minimum wage. Um, and though their end goals differ, these four states are voting to increase the minimum wage little by little until 2020, uh, though Maine is extending that to 2024 for workers who receive tips. Uh, Arizona, Maine, and Colorado would increase the wage to $12 an hour. Right now, the federal minimum wage is at seven twenty-five an hour. And then Washington is proposing to increase it to thirteen fifty an hour. Uh, both Arizona and Washington's measures would also require paid sick leave uh, for most workers. And then, and probably one of the most surprising ballot initiatives I came across, which I did, hadn't even heard about until I read this uh, great article, and I want to give her uh, credit again. I just want to find the author's name. This is from Meg Anderson at NPR, and the article is entitled, quote, From Pot to Guns to School Funding, Here's What's on the Ballot in Your State. Um she mentions one South Dakota is voting to lower the state's minimum wage to 750 an hour for workers under the age of 18. I found that just absolutely uh just peculiar um but as as a whole these four states above regarding raising the minimum wage and then if you want to comment on South Dakota Brad what are your thoughts on these ballot initiatives in these well, five states? Well uh, there were several uh minimum wage ballot questions uh during the 2012 presidential election. Now, you basically start with the fact that increasing the minimum wage is almost universally popular. Uh, if you ask a question, a poll question, do you favor Pose raising the minimum wage, you'll get something like 70% of Americans who say yes. Uh, and back in 2012, I believe there were seven uh, minimum wage questions on the ballot, and all seven of them won. And actually, there's a political story behind this. Uh, progressive activists uh, made a big effort in 2012 and this year to get minimum wage uh, questions on the ballot uh, because uh, they thought uh, it would be a great way to turn out uh, Democratic voters uh, during a presidential election, you know, especially, uh, you know, voters at the end of that, the low end of the income scale uh, who want the, uh, the better wages. Uh, so there I you know, all seven of them passed back in uh, 2012. And, uh, you know, my guess is all or most of them will pass this time, too, because it's such a popular idea. I mean, you know, people know that the idea of, you know, seven 
you know, a seven seven twenty five uh, minimum wage is ridiculous. Um, the example people use, and I think it's a good one, is the seven fifty minimum wage came in. I forget exactly, but I think it's around twenty years ago. Uh, and since uh, the the uh, Congress passed the minimum wage uh, twenty years ago, they have raised their own salary sixteen times. Uh, but you know the. President Obama submitted uh, in a, uh, a bill to Congress to increase the minimum wage to $10.10 an hour, and the Republicans in the House wouldn't even let it come to a vote. And this is a good example of something we talked about the other day with guns. Uh, people in states are frustrated at uh, the inaction and obstruction in Washington when it comes to issues like guns and a minimum wage. So they can't get it through Congress, so they take it in their own hands, state by state. Yeah, that, that is another good example of that. You also have another uh, point of legislation on these ballot initiatives, as we previously talked about, the the most sprawling one in nine states, uh, five states, uh, that would be marijuana, five states proposing recreational use and four states proposing medicinal use. That was in our first uh, part of three our three-part series regarding uh, these ballot initiatives. We do have a caller, Manny from Massachusetts, who wants to talk about that after the break so we can backtrack a little, which is totally fine if anybody wants to talk about any issues we've brought up in the past uh, installments of uh, this discussion regarding ballot initiatives, you're more than welcome to. After that, there are some other initiatives we're going to discuss, like assisted suicide, the death penalty, tobacco, plenty of other things we're going to be going over. If you'd like to join myself, Mark Rimaldi, and uh, our other guest host, Brad Bannon, you can do so at 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Rimaldi and Brad Bannon in for Leslie Marshall, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi and Brad Bannon in for Leslie Marshall. We're talking about ballot initiatives in 2016. There are 156 measures in 35 states in the District of Columbia. Uh, we have some calls we're going to be getting to starting right now. If you're on hold, we will get to you. Uh, first, as promised, I want to go to Manny in Massachusetts, who's talking about something we discussed uh, in part one of our uh, ballot initiative talk, which is marijuana. Uh, Manny, go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, one of the things about the uh, marijuana uh, question that's going to be on a ballot here in Massachusetts that I found out is the um, uh, this guy named Shadow Addison, I guess he's a tycoon in, uh, in casinos. He's putting a million dollars to try to defeat it. And also the schools thing, the private schools, um, we found that um, the company that Mitt Romney was running, the bank capital, is throwing a lot of uh, money into commercials to try to get that passed. You know, it's interesting to see who's behind uh, supporting or uh, trying to defeat a ballot initiative because it really tells you, I think, also a lot about, you know, how the initiative uh, will work and whether or not it's good for, you know, the people in the state. And honestly, it seems like every candidate or initiative that Sheldon Adelson or Bain Capital has supported has been very far to the right along with the lines of the Koch brothers. Um, Brad, I'm sure, you know, Massachusetts yeah. being your home state, uh, you have well, something to say about this. Right. 
a lot of big money being poured in uh, to uh, Massachusetts uh, to support uh, the initiative to raise the cap on charter schools. Uh, and one of the things you have to remember about these charter schools, uh, these charter schools are run by corporations uh, that operate private schools all across the country. And they have a ton of money, uh, and they're throwing it in here to Massachusetts uh, to try to, uh, you know, provide more opportunities for their own businesses. Uh, and there is a lot of big money uh, in this campaign, uh, like from Bain Capital, as Manny said, and from a lot of these national private corporations uh, that would get more business if this initiative passes. Um, well, there, was also, there was also a study done for the schools. And we found out that in our area, at least, the people they were sending kids to these charter schools were people who were making over a quarter million dollars a year. Yeah, so you well, look yeah, like what type of people it's catering to. Brad, go ahead. Yeah, that's the, one of the arguments against these charter schools. They always uh, talk about how, you know, much higher or better uh, student test scores uh, are in charter schools as opposed to public schools, but it's because they cherry-pick the best students. Uh, and uh, they get the best students, they take them out of the public school system uh, and uh, put them in private schools, and basically uh, the public schools are left uh, with the poorer students. Uh, and that's one of the arguments against uh, private schools. They cherry-pick the students they take, uh, so they almost dictate the fact they're going to have high test scores. You know, and Manny, I think it's interesting that you brought up both, um, you know, and it happens to be in Massachusetts, the issues of marijuana and education. Because if you look at budgets, for instance, in, in Colorado, where they've passed uh, recreational marijuana usage, they have a lot more money to put towards their education budget because of the revenue that they're generating from recreational marijuana. So to me, it's it's kind of like, even if you don't support it for other reasons, if you support it because it can help your budgetary issues, I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, you're already letting people you know, have cigarettes and alcohol, and you can tax those items, so why not do it for marijuana? Yeah, uh, that's uh, right. In fact, I saw a study uh, the other day of the economic effect of the uh, uh, legalization of pot in Colorado. And the study said that the, it's a whole new industry, of course. Uh, and uh, they, uh, the economists, who I believe were from uh, University of Colorado, said that the creation of this new industry uh, with the pot industry has uh, indirectly or directly created uh, 18,000 new jobs in Colorado. And in addition to that, it's uh, they've got so much tax revenue out of selling pot that it is almost uh, they got to the point where they're collecting, the state is collecting as much tax revenue from pot as they are regular cigarettes. So, uh... Brad, great point. We just got to run to a break. We'll be right back. Mark Romaldi and Brad Bannon in for Leslie Marshall.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi and Brad Bannon in for Leslie Marshall. We are now going to go back to the calls, and uh, we go to a good friend of the show, Paul in Washington, who I know wanted to talk about uh, minimum wage and I believe uh, education as well, if I'm not mistaken, or background checks. Wh- whichever you would like to talk about, Paul, you go ahead. Oh, okay. Thanks, uh, Mark. And how are you doing, Brad? I'm fine, Paul. How are you? Good. Well, <clears throat> uh, so... Uh, I, I don't know if I heard this right, but there was one initiative you talked about that was going to ban the teaching of foreign language. Um, well, what it what it is is actually almost kind of like a reverse of that. Basically, in California, uh, there's a situation where it, uh, there's a 1998 law in place in California that bans school instruction in languages other than English. So there's a current ballot initiative where if if it's approved, the existing law would be repealed and open the way for bilingual education in California. Yeah, uh, let me say something. Uh, there's a political aspect to this. Uh, the question in California. Um, I believe that uh, the, lo- the, uh, the initiative that created the ban uh, was passed uh, during, while uh, a Republican, Pete Wilson, was governor um, at a time when uh, there was a Republican governor and a Republican state legislature. Uh, Wilson also pushed uh, an anti-immigration bill, and the reaction uh, to the uh, uh, both bills, the ban on uh, the teaching ban and the uh, immigra- uh, anti-immigration bill, really polarized the Latino community against Republicans. Uh, and since the population of Latinos is growing so rapidly uh, in California, it, that those initiatives of Pete Wilson basically killed the Republican Party in California. You can get barely elected to anything in California now as uh, a Republican, and that's partly because of the t- ban on teaching in Spanish uh, and the anti-immigration legislation. Great. Oh, okay, so the, the, the law was is banning the instruction in a, in a language other than English, not teaching another language. It's no, you're right. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, banning the any instruction. The current law bans instruction in any subject area in public schools in California. Okay, I understand that now. Okay, so let me move on to the the minimum wage. Um, the South Dakota law. I and by the way, the, the what, what I was curious about the instruction is because uh, there was a Supreme Court decision, 1923, was Meyer versus Nebraska that the Supreme Court. Uh, Nebraska had tried to outlaw the teaching of foreign language, and the Supreme Court ruled under the 14th Amendment that the, the, the state could not do that. Now, my question about the South Dakota minimum wage law is it's going to lower the minimum wage to, what, seven fifty per hour for workers under the age of 18, right? That's correct. Okay, now, this sounds like it's right for the Supreme Court also, even though... The seven fifty per hour is above the federal minimum wage. I wonder, could the state lower the minimum wage to, you know, say seven fifty for women or blacks or whatever subgroup you you care to name? I, 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 I this seems to me to be unequal treatment, and that's that's right for Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? It's Brad? almost like yeah, ageism. I think a good answer to that, Paul. Um, I think uh, the Supreme Court could play a role, 
sadly, uh, because of the complexion of the court now, uh, it might very well uphold uh, any state attempts to subvert the minimum wage. Uh, and again, that's why, in my opinion at least, it's important that we elect Hillary Clinton, uh, because Hillary Clinton, uh, with the vacancy created by the death of Judge Scalia, has an opportunity to turn a conservative majority on the court uh, to a progressive majority, uh, and that could impact uh, you know things like the, the South Dakota South Dakota minimum wage initiative. Yeah, I I think that's because that's really it, it's kind of an up in the air thing. It, it would depend really on on the perspective of uh, of a given justice. I I don't think it's an easy answer, but to me, it rings a Fourteenth Amendment because they have equal treatment by the state, even though that minimum wage is seven fifty is above the federal minimum wage. It's not equal treatment, uh, you know, within the state. So that's 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 a tough one. Well, there's that expression uh, uh, among. Uh legal scholars who study the Supreme Court, and that saying is, the Constitution is whatever the justices think it is. Yeah, well, that was, William Rehnquist said that. Yeah, yeah he, and it's the, true. That's what he said. He said the Constitution ultimately is what the majority, and apparently the majority of the court, says it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately, that's been true, and we've seen it uh, in so many decisions, Paul, that have been disastrous, like Citizens United, you know, the repeal of the Voting Rights Act, so many things that could be changes brought, Brad brought up uh, with a fifth liberal um, Supreme Court justice, or just the fifth liberal, uh, excuse me, a fifth justice with common sense, I would think. Uh, Paul, thanks for your call. Next, I want to go to uh, Michael in the Bronx, who actually is bringing up an interesting issue that could be ripe for ballot initiatives, which we don't find in this piece, and I did some searching, and there's not a lot uh, around it. But before I steal your thunder, Michael, go ahead with your thoughts. Well, uh, the issue, of course, would be background checks. But we've only been talking about the background checks for people that get guns. All right. And as Hillary has said, as Leslie has said before, that there are those that are unfit to have a gun. Likewise, we need to have background checks further on those that want to become police officers because you and Brad, oh, hi, Brad, I'm sorry. Hey, Michael. And you, Brad, myself, and just by any other person with common sense would agree that there are those that should not be on the force, those that should not have a badge and a gun, as we have seen and heard in previous reports, there are those that are on the force that will one school bullies and terrorizing um, their classmates and what have you, and sought an opportunity to get into a badge and the gun and become police officers just to continue their terrorizing, their bullying, their um, violent manipulations, whatever you want to call it. Things that are generally unlawful by any, generally unlawful for any civilian to commit. Michael brings up an issue point, an interesting point, excuse me, about uh, the call by many, um, you know, in the African-American community specifically regarding police brutality or treatment of minorities in the way, or the way that communities are policed. Um, and I think it's interesting, Brad, what you brought up is there, you know, people have been frustrated by the progress on many of the issues that we've brought up on a state level uh, or a federal level, excuse me, so they've tried to get it done on the state level. So I actually did some digging and tried to find 
find um, if there are any ballot initiatives regarding uh, policing, you know, specifically to this issue of police brutality or treatment of minorities in 2016. And the only one I really came across, and it's a great site for people who are interested in a lot of these ballots. Again, I would recommend uh, reading this story by... um, uh, Meg Anderson of NPR entitled From Pot to Guns to School Funding, Here's What's on the Ballot in Your State. But there's also a great website called Ballotpedia, B-A-L-L-O-T-P-E-D-I-A. And that's where I came across. Uh, there was a city of Minneapolis uh, police personnel charter amendment a ballot question which qualified for the ballot for Minneapolis voters in uh, Hennepin County, Minnesota on November 8th. Uh, 2016 it would have been voted on but was removed from the ballot by a supreme court ruling it would have let people vote on here this would have been the yes a yes vote would have been a vote in favor of amending the city charter to require all police officers to carry personal liability insurance for instances of citizen complaints or lawsuits similar to malpractice insurance for those in the medical field and a no vote would have been a vote against amending the city charter to require police insurance keeping the city responsible for any lawsuits against police officers um and you know it could have been argued then potentially some officers would have felt more responsible for their own personal behavior so they may have exercised more caution um in instances of you know interactions with their uh with citizens when they're policing um but i I find that very interesting which michael brings up brad because it is an issue that a lot of people are concerned about so i wonder if we may see anything like that in the future and whether or not this court you know would play an issue in it are frustrated out there, and when they can't get anything done at the federal level, uh, they're going to resort to grassroots state level, and I could very easily see uh, that uh, becoming, uh, you know, a ballot question. For instance, there could be a ballot question. I'm mad there isn't now, but there could be someday uh, that would require all police officers uh, to uh, have body cams so uh, you can review their actions. I can very easily see that happening. Yes, uh, you know, that's a good point to bring up, Brad. Uh, Before we go to our next call, I want to take our last commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to take Ishmael uh, and Virginia's call. Michael, thank you for your call. If you'd like to join in, we have two lines open. The number to join us is 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Romaldi and Brad Bannon in for Leslie Marshall. And also we're going to try to get to uh, an interesting ballot initiative in Colorado which uh, is allowing people to vote on whether or not to allow adults diagnosed with terminal illnesses and facing imminent death to end their life with prescription medication. Obviously, uh, probably some very strong opinions on this uh, from both sides. Uh, We also have uh, the death penalty uh, on the ballot in some other states and um, not only being revised but added and some initiatives regarding tobacco. We're going to try to get to all those before the end of this hour. 888-6LESLIE. 888-653-7543. We'll be right back. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE. back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is our final segment in uh, our rundown of the 156 ballot initiatives in 2016 in 35 states and the District of Columbia. With me, as always, uh, 
and also in all three of the uh, portions of this uh, special that Brad uh, and I have done regarding the ballot initiatives in 2016 is my trusted uh, side uh, man here. I don't even know what to call you, Brad. You're my, my I wouldn't go anywhere without you if I needed uh, any of these facts. It was funny. I was just thinking back to when you and Paul were on and how you all of a sudden just, you know, were throwing out facts about ni- the 1998 makeup of the uh, the legislature in California. And Paul said, yes, you know, and back in 1923, you know, with the Supreme Court. And I'm like, man, it's just to be on air with with you guys talking about this is, is just well, fascinating. Well, my head is when it comes to politics or baseball, my head is filled with information, so much so that it might explode. And by the way, let me ask you a question, maybe see if you know the answer to this question. Oh, boy. Uh, why are there ballot initiatives in 35 states and not 50 states? Uh, because isn't it that not all states allow ballot initiatives? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, 35 states allow battle, uh, ballot initiatives, and the other 15 don't. Uh, and so some voters, uh, voters in 15 states, don't have any opportunity to vote on these things at all. And the other thing is there's no opportunity to, to vote uh, for voters to uh, vote on initiatives at the federal level. Uh, I remember back when Ross Perot ran uh, for president in 1992, uh, he proposed that there be a national initiative pro- uh, process so Americans could vote on the key issues of the day that come up. I think that would have been very interesting. And actually, Brad, without even knowing who we had on uh, on hold next, or actually I should say what they were going to talk about. No, you, you've got a great... Uh, a great toss, as we call it in broadcasting, to our next caller, Ishmael in Virginia, who has a very pertinent question to what you just brought up. Uh, Ishmael, welcome to the show, and go ahead with your thoughts. <laughs> Brad, it's funny. Hello, Brad, and hello, Mark. Hi, Paul. Ishmael, how are you? Okay, I'll try to impersonate uh, Ross Perot, but I think I'm going to do <laughs> okay, a good I appreciate job. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what I wanted to know, I think ballots are really, just listening to you too, ballots are really the way for citizens to take power back. From, 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 from the federal government and from the state, making their own decision in the ballot. So my question is, how, how, what is the process of the ballot work? How does it begin? So and, and, and I did, it varies yeah. from state to state according to the state law. For example, okay. here in Massachusetts, uh, if, uh, legislation, if the state legislature uh, fails to pass a legislation to pass a law in two consecutive sessions of the legislature, then, uh, and only then, can uh, citizens get the signatures to get out on the ballot. And that's what, yeah, that's, uh, you know, a great relief valve. Uh, you know, the, uh, the marijuana initiative we have here in Massachusetts mm-hmm. is a good example. Twice the legislature voted against legalizing pot, and mainly because when they voted both times, local police chiefs and attorney generals were vehemently opposed, and they had a great okay. amount of influence on the state legislatures. But the law provides here in Massachusetts the legislature fails to do something twice, uh, then uh, people can collect initiatives to get the question on the ballot. And I think what's going to happen here in Massachusetts, at least, is voters are going to basically uh, tell the state legislature to get lost and pass this 
initiative themselves mm-hmm. uh, when the legislature refused to twice. And it varies from state to state. Yeah, it does. And Ishmael, to answer your question, that's a, a great example, too, of specifics in you know Massachusetts. But you could find on the federal level another uh, great resource, again, is this if you go to ballotpedia.org. Uh, but they have a good yeah, summary yeah. Um, where uh, basically ballot measures, uh, as it says here, can get on the um, ballot through very different paths. Initiative and referendum, which you'll see often abbreviated to INR, is kind of yeah. the catch-all phrase for ballot measures that get on ballots through a signature collection process of some kind. Only okay. about half of states allow their citizens to place a measure on the ballot through the collection of signatures, but every state is, has some mechanism through which measures of some kind can make their way onto the ballot of some state. Uh, this includes, as Brad talked about, legislative referrals. There's also constitution amendment validation procedures, okay. as well as bond issues or tax proposals that can be placed before the state's voters by a vote of the state legislature. But, you know, in other words, a general election ballot in any American state might include ballot measures of one kind or another. Um, however, only only in half the states would any of those ballot measures be there courtesy of a petition drive. Um, but there are measured, so I would encourage you to check out that ballotpedia.org, and you can find out more about uh, how it can be proposed in uh, Virginia. But it's a great question, Ishmael. Thanks for uh, for your question. INR process. Uh, INR came about uh, early in, the tw- in late in the 19th century and early in the 20th century, and that's because at the time, uh, state legislatures and Congress uh, were were basically controlled uh, by uh, the big railroad companies like Union Pacific. And farmers were so upset because uh, Union Pacific would charge them incredibly high rates uh, to move their goods, uh, their their crop. Uh, so uh, the uh, several states basically passed the INR to get around the influence uh, that the railroad companies have uh, on uh, on state legislature. This is really interesting, Brad, to uh, to find out where that came from. So thank you for uh, sharing that. Next, I want to go to uh, Paul in Massachusetts, who also has a uh, general question. Paul, welcome to the show, and go ahead with your thoughts, please. Thank you. Just a general comment on ballot questions. So I voted early in Massachusetts, and um, but I just have to say I, I can't stand ballot questions. Ballot questions are stupid for the following reasons. You know, um, some of it's a no-brainer. I, I take a backseat to no one in, in my, my disgust and frustration with the legislature when they don't act on these things or when they vote no on, on, on cannabis um, um, reform. But we got a couple other questions on the ballot, like charter schools and farm policy. These are complex public policy issues that even in highly educated Massachusetts, you have relatively uninformed voters making complex public policy decisions at the ballot box, and the campaigns that grow up around either side of these ballot questions are flooded with out-of-state money. So that's just- really, you know, Paul. That's a really interesting point that I, I think is is a fair point to bring up. It's great on one end because you have the control of citizens to to get these processes going, but you have those points that Paul brought up. Brad, we have about 90 seconds left. I'd like you to address that because I think it's interesting. Well, public policy is like a balloon. If you squeeze it somewhere, the air is going to go somewhere else. Uh, and that's where INR is. Uh, Congress refuses to act, uh, so people out in states get frustrated and take make the lawmaking into their own hands. And there are disadvantages, uh, Paul's right, but 
give voters their only chance to directly make public policy. Brad, I want to thank you again for joining me for uh, all three hours of uh, our special series on ballot initiatives in 2016. I really appreciate it. Um, You can find Brad's work uh, on his website, BannonCR.com, or better yet, give him a follow on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. That's B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N. Again, Brad runs Bannon Communications Research. Uh, My name is Mark Grimaldi. I'm Leslie's executive producer. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's M-A-R-K-J-G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Uh, you can check out this episode of uh, our podcast on Leslie's Spreaker page. Uh, that's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com or on my own. Uh, I want to thank our assistant producer, Andrew Tomedy, who has uh, also been with us for all three hours of this uh, special series. Uh, feel free to comment on this if you have any uh, suggestions regarding future episodes. And uh, we will be back uh, tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Leslie Marshall Show. Have a great evening. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.